I can tell you how I feel about Mr. Night and Day. Hey, hey. I can tell you how I feel about Moon Night and Day. What's up, what's up, y'all? This is Carefree Black Nerd Presents Day and Moon Night, the Carefree Black Nerd Review, uh, discussion, uh, breakdown of none other than Disney Plus and MCU's Moon Night. Shit is getting real, y'all. Shit is getting real. So we're on to episode two. This is Summon the Suit. With little time to react, Steven is thrust into a war of the gods as a mysterious partner arrives. Now, use the hashtag DMKPod when you're watching Moon Knight, when you're listening to this episode, and let me know your thoughts. What's going on? How you feeling? Um, you know, how many of yous are out there doing the thing, doing the thugism? So there are a few things I do want to kind of go over with this episode. All in all, it was pretty solid. I'm thoroughly enjoying this uh, series, this project, what I will say right off top, I'm not even going to hold you up, is I believe that there is something villainous afoot. Okay, so of course there is. Um, but I think that with there being Stephen, Mark, Moon Knight, and now the addition of Mr. Knight, there are other personalities that are involved in the Moon Knight lore. Because we've only gotten the two main, Steven and Mark, I'm thinking that there is a possibility that Steven, Mark, or whoever is perhaps in some sort of mental facility. Like, there's something going on where I feel like the the world in which we're perceiving is not the real world, not entirely. And that'll tie into some things a little bit later on. But all in all, I just... I have this idea that we are not getting the full range of what is. Um, Arthur is the thing that kind of makes me weary about that, where maybe maybe I'm wrong. But like I said before, this is the series that I'm going to go full on speculation, fan theories, and all of that. I've had that issue, an issue with that, with other series like WandaVision, Falcon, and Winter Soldier, and whatnot, where I wanted to manage my expectations as a fan. But with this series... Uh uh-uh, uh, all that's thrown out the window. I want to hear your wildest, kookiest, zaniest uh, predictions, theories, and all that. Use that hashtag DMKPod. All right, getting right to it. So, this essentially picks up at where episode one left off. Steven wakes up, he's chained to the bed, he runs uh, to the museum, and we discover that he is actually the one who acted a plum fool that night he the one who tore up the bathroom and this and that and when i say he did this i'm speaking from the perspective of someone who is not in steven's mind body mind body and soul (laughs) no so the um security guy checks the cameras and steven is like oh you know be prepared you're gonna get to see once in a lifetime blah 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 whatever and essentially we just see steven whooping ass kind of so a lot of the stuff happens off camera which i absolutely adore that with this series i think with any other series that would have pissed me off but knowing that steven has did knowing that 
perception could be completely false and that he's an unreliable narrator. I love this idea that all of the gruesome shit that we saw in episode one was off camera in the museum. And another thing that's kind of interesting about that is it could be a few things. One, Marvel could have just done it this way and made that be the way the show is, but all art is up to interpretation. So the way I see that is with Steven being the person who works at the gift shop in the museum, he of course knows about the layout of the museum. He knows about all the little, uh, like, artifacts and all that good stuff. We saw that with him talking to that little girl in episode one. One could say that everything that Steven went through last night in episode one happened, but because of his subconscious or his knowledge of the layout of the museum, everything supernatural that we saw was intentionally acted upon outside the view of the cameras now i could be reaching but again i don't even care (laughs) y'all let me know what you think let me know um so one thing i do enjoy is that oscar isaac is putting in the work he is definitely a character actor his steven and his mark are two very different people i uh bring up um oh god what's the girl's name is it tatiana is it tatiana mislani who played Orphan, Orphan Black, and how she played several different versions of herself, several different clones. I think she did an exceptional job. I think Oscar is doing a good job, too. Um, But let me know what you think. Um, If someone out there hates Oscar's performance, please let me know. I'm fine with I need to know that as well, because I'm loving it. Um, But I bring that up because the scene in which Steven and the security guard are watching Steven run around and break shit in the museum, we see... Steven come back and look directly into the camera and it's so clear through Oscar Isaac's performance that that is not Steven that that is Mark and I just his posture is different the way he carries himself um everything about Steven and Mark is just completely opposite of one another and I love that I love that so we get oh what's homegirl's name look at me unprepared uh, but we we move on and Steven gets fired. <laughs> it's it's such a weird thing. I wonder if this is like a British thing or if maybe I'm just reading this scene incorrectly. But they sit Steven down in the office. The head of security is talking to him. And the way the scene played out, I didn't think that he was getting fired. I thought they were giving him like leave of absence, time off to like do mental health stuff because they mentioned they being the security guard mentioned by um, handing Stevenson brochures like mental health facilities. And they had this little banter back and forth about it. And then he was like, well, do you have any um, museum paraphernalia? He's like, no, but it was his name tag. So I guess maybe the name tag portion should have alerted me to he was being fired. But the way they played that scene for me was very much like, okay, here, take some time off, go get your mental health right. So I don't know. I don't know. Maybe I'm just too too keen on Steven and Oscar and Mark. And so I'm just seeing things a little bit differently. Um, we move on from that and we get Steven pretty much on a mission to find out what the fuck is going on with Mark. What the hell is going on with his life? He hunts down. He tracks down the storage facility that Mark has a key to. He is going all across the city. I think he said when he walked up to the young boy the, uh, who worked there, I think he said this is like my fifth 
facility and the dude was like man i know you and he, he read off the number and so this is where we get some of the clips from the trailer and this is such a haunting space it's very much a liminal space when you're down this long ass corridor of metal doors to storage facilities that could be anything and it reminds me well of a storage facility um of times in the past where i've moved in different cities and different spaces and had stuff in storage and getting u-hauls and whatnot and it's so eerie like you take something that is really all intents and purposes a pretty boring area but it could be so ominous just with lighting and that's what they did and it's not like moon knight is the first show to ever do this i think you on netflix did it and good girls had kind of sort of an ominous vibe and there was some other show i don't know but either way uh steven uncovers mark's I don't know, crash pad, where he has like a cot, he got guns, he got passports, money, like all of this. And it's a metal mirrored room. I love the conversations between Steven and Mark. Like, I truly do. I love, again, Oscar is killing it for me. Um, I like that Mark has an American accent where Steven has a British one. I like that, though you may know, Everything about Moon Knight's backstory from the comics, the show is an entirely different universe. So we don't know exactly what's being pulled from where. That being said, we don't know who's the dominant personality. We could say Steven, but I guess Steven, the argument for Steven is that that's who we saw first. That's who we're introduced to. That's dominant as a viewer. But then... You look at Mark, and Mark has a wife. Not saying being married makes you more important, but the fact that Mark has a wife and they've gone on all these adventures to me says like there's been substantial time where you've been piloting this body. So who's to say that Stephen isn't a break in the psyche where instead of Mark? Um, what do you guys think? Let's let's yeah let's do that. Use the hashtag DMKPod. Let me know who do you think the dominant actual personality is is it steven or is it mark who is the the alpha i don't know i don't want to use that wording but who is the dominant personality all righty so there's a scarab that very much looks like aladdin's scarab from the aladdin movie and (laughs) that is the MacGuffin. that is the like the thing of the episode and it gets Steven into so much friggin' trouble. Um, I love the conversations he has with Mark in the mirror. And I think it's just from like growing up watching like Goosebumps and um, what's the other one? What's the other series? Not just Goosebumps. Um, R.L. Stein did Goosebumps. Fuck, there was something else. I can't remember. But like growing up watching those horror shows for kids that were very much scaled down but having like evil twins lizard people folks in like that stuff is like in my dna nostalgia has imprinted that stuff on me so even if this show was bad i think these elements of mark and steven having conversations and disagreements and oscar's performance would have saved it for me like this this is in my wheelhouse and so 
the scene that we get, this is another thing I like about the show is that even though we're seeing a lot of the scenes that were clips in the trailer, it still is just as impactful. Like knowing that Kanchu was coming down that corridor did not change the level of, I don't want to say fear because I wasn't afraid, but the level of like intensity and, and anxiety I had was still there because though we've seen these scenes, I didn't know how they were going to play out. But watching Kanchu, who's like, I don't know, nine feet tall, chase Steven through these different corridors and him running like a maniac was fucking hilarious. I will say I'm still not a fan of Conchu's voice. It bothers me. Um, I want I want to like it, um, but I don't. So let me know how you guys think. Use that hashtag DMKPod, excuse me, Conchu's voice. Are you okay with it? How do you feel about it? Does it bother you or is it just me? I don't like it. And it's not that it is, maybe it's not so much the voice, but I don't like the way they're playing Kanshu like for comedy. Like in the show that is dealing with disassociative identity disorder, it's it's all intents and purposes is like a mystery thriller. And with some supernatural elements, I just don't I I guess I wanted more horror. I wanted more scary. I wanted more serious and not serious to the point of um, you know, Jack uh, Snyder's, um, Zack Snyder's uh, Justice League, but Kanshu to me feels so comical. But another thing I considered is that perhaps this over the top genie from Aladdin feeling that I'm getting from him is intentional because perhaps he's a figment of Steven's imagination. So I don't know. I don't know, man. I'm, um, I don't know. I don't know. I'm, I don't like it, but I'm on the fence. When it comes to Kanshu and his voice and how he's portrayed, because I know that there's an there's a possibility that he is not real, that this is all a figment of you know Stephen or whoever's imagination. Uh, so Stephen runs out, runs into the street, almost gets his head run over by a motorcycle, just to find this young lady, a little biracial girl. I don't know, biracial girl, biracial. Girl. I don't know. This um lady pulls up. She's like, get in, get on the car. I mean, get on the motorcycle. We got to get the fuck out of here. Why are you sitting around looking like this? Uh, and this is Mark's wife. And it comes out that that's Mark's wife. And I'm like, ah, okay. So she, to me, looks like, is it Sigourney Weaver from the 80s? Something about her feels very 70s, 80s. Not teen movies. It just, it feels very 70s, 80s. Um, and so they go back to Steven's place and this is where now the argument can be made that Mark is the dominant personality because they're talking, they're being the young lady in Steven. Why am I not remembering this woman's name? Um, and he mentions something about his mom and she's like, Oh, you're you guys are talking again. And he's like, uh, yeah, which leads me to believe, like I thought in the beginning, in the first episode, that Steven ain't talking to nobody. He's not talking to his mama. We don't hear no voice on the other end. And specifically, we don't hear a voice when Steven is talking to his mom. But when Steven answered that uh, Razor phone of Mark's, we did hear his wife on the other end. So it's not like it's unheard of. And I think when we... When he got when he stood up the homegirl from the museum for dinner for the steak dinner, we heard her voice on the other end. She was like, you know, you fucking playing around. Don't bother to call me or talk to me or any of that. So 
that to me says Stephen clearly is making up this mom in his head, but perhaps Mark is the dominant personality and Stephen and Stephen's relation with his mom is his way of dealing with whatever trauma or shit he's going through by not having a relationship with his mom. Again, I could be grasping at straws, but I don't give a damn. Uh, uh, Mark's wife's name is Layla. Layla. Layla L. Follower. Oh, Jesus, I didn't butcher that name. So, they're poking around the house. Another thing, they start to discuss some French. They read off a poem where I think she starts it. In, no, no. Maybe Steven started it and she finished. Some kind of way they both ended up saying the poem together. And he's like, yeah, that's my favorite poem and she's like no that's my favorite poem then they're getting to talk about hieroglyphics and he's i don't want to go so far as to say he's mansplaining but he's like timidly like explaining to her the importance of hieroglyphics and all this other shit she's like right there with him and so that to me again leads me to believe that steven could possibly be the the altar and not the dominant because if mark is the dominant he's the one who's married He's the one who has more like physical ties to other people. Um, we don't hear Steven on the phone with his mom, but we can hear anyone else on the phone with Steven. Um, the very fact that Steven has an obsession with this particular poet or this poem, and that is also Layla's favorite poem or poet, to me says, okay, that's something that Mark has retained in this altar of Steven and just grafted it onto Steven um, because it's something that he loved about his wife. Also the hieroglyphic stuff, having Steven even work in a museum of like Egyptian history and shit like, I, I don't know, I think the case is being made for Mark to be the dominant, but then I'm also like, oh, are they trying to pull the wool over our eyes and then it's gonna be Steven? I don't know, but I'm very much a true crime trying to figure out the mystery before the end of the show type of person. And this is, I'm I'm fairly certain I'm going to go with Mark, but I feel like they're going to pull something out their ass and there's going to be yet another altar or Steven is the dominant. So, <laughs> I don't know. So, they find the scarab. Uh, I'm sorry. Layla finds the scarab. Mark is telling Steven, like, don't let her find that. You let her find that. She's going to be fucked up, uh, whatever. They're arguing Steven and Layla. And one, ooh, one part of the scene that I absolutely loved was the divorce paper scene. Layla's like, she thinks that Mark is putting up an act, acting like Steven or whatnot. And she's like, here, sign these papers. And I don't remember what she said verbatim, but he was like, divorce papers? I would never divorce you. And there's something very, not childlike, very innocent about the way that line was delivered. It's very in line with Steven, but it truly i ain't gonna hold you it kind of grasped at the heartstrings i was like oh this doof this old freaking softy like you don't know this woman you just know that she's attractive and we'll say she's headstrong and like you're so infatuated and it could just be residual markness of him but it's like you don't even know this woman what do you mean i would never divorce you <laughs> like shut up you softy so <laughs> i enjoyed that but they get a, a visit mark i'm sorry steven gets a visit from the police and they come in they're looking around the house they're like hey you you know you got something about whatever he's like well thinking they're here about the museum it's like oh well the museum fired me but they said they wouldn't press charges as long as i pay for the damage i did in installments blah blah whatever 
And they're like putting the pressure on them. Short black lady, tall white guy. And we come to find out that they're actually not cops. They handcuff this man, take him in their car after they see the Mark duffel bag full of money, passports and stuff. They take him away and we we find out when they get to their destination that these are not cops. These people are of this whatever cult that Arthur is running. And let me say this about Arthur. I do not like the idea that this man can just say a couple words and everybody is at their feet ready to do what the fuck he wants them to do. Something about that feels off, and I'm not going to hold you up. It's something about the way Ethan Hawke looks. To me, he looks like, and I'm sure this is probably intentional, but he looks like some of those old white cult leaders from the 70s. He, 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 he feels wrong. And I think... I don't know, because I have my issues with it, but I'm also... <sighs> Okay, so I'll say this. It comes out that Stephen does not have to listen to Conchu. Conchu was yelling and screaming and throwing a tantrum, which I was with Arthur because he says, you know, oh, is he here right now? What is he telling you to do? And Conchu was telling him to kill Arthur. And we find out that those two police officers are part of the cult. Arthur has this whole section of town, which I would say is like the bad part of town, quote unquote, like the other side of the tracks, the hood or whatnot. But it's this sort of utopia where everyone works in synergy. I think that's it. Or in concert with one another. Uh, everyone has to know three languages. They like garden. They teach each other. Like it's very utopia-ish. And Arthur, it comes out that he was once a, is it Harold? Herald of Khonshu or Avatar of Khonshu or whatever. Like, he he was once the Moon Knight type person. I don't know if he was specifically Moon Knight or if he was just that, you know, something adjacent. But the Arthur scenes are so interesting. And I still don't think that I can get over the fact that this white man is the... Not, like, the connection to these Egyptian gods and goddesses. Not to give Oscar a pass, because he's clearly, you know, whatever he is. But something about that, it's like, I'm like, are they trying to subvert our expectations? Is this just a misstep on Marvel's part with casting? Or like, what exactly is it? And this is the show where I am going to give a pass to a lot of things, because there's so much unreliable narration, so much unreliable visuals that we're getting that, you know, just by nature of being Moon Knight, everything we see could be wrong. And so I'm not I'm not going to be as hard on it yet. There's four more episodes to go. But I, I, I want something to develop, something to be more clear. Um, but Arthur does mention that I used to work, you know, as Khonshu's avatar or whatever. Khonshu is a big-ass baby. He throws a tantrum. And I'm like, that's absolutely right. That is exactly what he does. But the fact that Arthur is mentioning Khonshu and having this relation with him makes me question if Khonshu may not be a figment of Stephen's imagination because Arthur isn't. Arthur has physically touched this man. But again, perhaps, shit, Arthur is like, I don't know, a nurse at an insane asylum where um, Stephen is currently being held. You know, so... I'm going to drive myself wild trying to figure all this shit out. And y'all going to be right there with me. So they, Arthur pretty much 
walks Steven through his utopia, sits him down, gives him the, you know, the 411 download, what's going on with Khonshu and the world. And so Steven says exactly what I was saying as it pertains to Amit. How the hell are you judging and uh, condemning these people for things that they, quote unquote, are going to do when they haven't done it yet? He's like, are you not? condemning innocent people because even if someone is going he's like what about a child well like if a child grows up to be a murderer and you murder them when they're a child they're innocent they're a child and so he was like i'm not really getting down with child murder and that's exactly what i was saying like this minority report as shit where you're trying to get ahead of someone's potential evilness it's like one that's already fucked up but then also in the world where there are constant variants now being introduced it's like sure enough let's say this little boy is going to grow up to be a serial killer fine but when he's five years old he's not a serial killer but let's also say he's going to grow up and be a serial killer and you go back to kill him but you kill a variant like we don't know and not to say you want people to die you know that's an extreme before like so that someone can actually commit a crime and then lock them up but it's also like where is the idea of free will in all of this? Because if you go back in time and kill this, you know, five-year-old kid, they have not had a chance to grow into this supposed bad person. And even if that's the case, wouldn't it make more sense to kind of curve that um, action or that those events early? Like, am I not, like, am I not making sense? Like, I don't, I never liked that idea of, minority report style justice do not i don't know i just feel like tragedy and trauma are going to happen those are things that are just a part of our life and as unfortunate as it is i i don't know i don't know i'm gonna i'm just gonna leave it there because there are exceptions to every rule there's caveats and whatnot but if we're looking generally at the grand scheme of things to go in like Steven said, kill a kid who might potentially become a murderer later or whatever, it's like you're still killing an innocent person. And it's down to that needs of the few outweigh the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few or some shit. I don't know, however that goes. But I don't like it. I don't like it. And Arthur is an asshole. And essentially, he tells Steven, like, hey, either you hand over that scarab or don't make me do the shit that I, you know, I've been trying not to do to your ass. All these people stand up and start kind of attacking Steven. I'll say this. I don't know that I'm a fan of the fight scenes, but that's something else that I'm going to give a pass, at least in the next episode. When Arthur stood up and demanded the scare up and Steven didn't give it to him because of course he didn't have it and then Layla popped up and was like I have it there are at least 50 people in this space who are like in this cult nobody really attacked him nobody really attacked Layla it was giving Mighty Morphin Power Rangers our parents are zombies of Ivan Ooze it was very much like slow walking not really attacking, moving around to sh- make it feel like there's action. And I didn't like that. Um, I didn't like that because what are we doing? Arthur has all this power. He's the Javar character. But your minions aren't doing their job. And so that kind of frustrated me because it's like, what's the point? They keep showing these damn tattoos and they know all these languages, but like, 
it's time to whoop this motherfucker's ass, and yet y'all are nowhere to be found. The only person who was whooping ass was Layla. She was the one fighting this, like, two niggas, one-on-one, like, fought one and then fought another one. So, I don't know. That might be minor, but I, I wasn't a fan. That fight scene was trash. So, Arthur takes his stab, do the little Rasputin Javar shit, puts it into the ground, start, I don't know, speaking in tongues or whatever the fuck he was doing, and created another... I'm just going to call this a hellhound. I don't know if that's what this thing is called. But it's like the same shit that he had in the museum fighting Moon Knight. This is where shit gets a little even more off the rails. So I don't know what's real. There's a moment where Layla and Steven are locked. They lock themselves into this room. And it seems like there are people pushing at the door to open it. Layla is telling Steven, hey, summon the suit, summon the suit. Mark's like, let me take over, let me summon the suit. And he's like, oh, I can't do it. To the point where Steven, like, almost has a nervous breakdown. Like, he's 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 overwhelmed. Like, there's anxiety, there's some shit going on. And Layla's like, okay, that's all right. We're going to get through this. We can, we, can, we can do this together. And the doors come open. And... I love the camera work. I love the cinematography. I love the editing. And there is, because you can see whose viewpoint you're in, and it's not like first-person shooter. Like, you can see, by the way, it's edited very clearly. Like, when we first get into the room, we're with Steven, and then there's a time where Layla turns around when the doors pop open, and Steven is having a fucking nervous breakdown, pointing at this hellhound that's after him, but there is nothing there. And that's why I'm like, I knew that they were going to be playing with the unreliable narrator. I knew that. But to this extent, I'm like, is it just the magic? It can't just be the magic. Um, because Layla does not see this thing. This thing pushes Steven out the window. He's summoning the suit. Hits a bunch of shit on the way to the ground. And then we get Mr. Knight, the suited. The suited Knight with the with the, I don't know, Robin season mask. And so him and Mark have a conversation. I mean, it's all fun and games. It's cool. It's cute. But what I want to focus on is the fact that when Mark is speaking to Steven through the mirror and Steven is Moon Knight and Steven is fighting this hellhound, Layla cannot see this thing. Then we end up in the middle of the street where there's people on a bus, people walking around outside. They don't see it either. There's even a scene where, and I know this was intentional, where Moon Knight, Stephen Moon Knight, is dressed up, fighting this hell, kind of antagonizing them, like float like a butterfly, sting like a bee. And you can see in the very far off distance, there are like two or three people who are just calmly walking like walking around they're not close they're close enough that if there was a lot of commotion they could probably hear but they're far enough away that if there was a monster they could run and be safe i bring all that up because it's it's very i feel like it's very intentional that you see all of this shit happening and then these people are just calmly walking around also Layla looks up and she sees she's she sees moon Knight and she's like oh you look different and see to me that's that's very different from, oh, you got a different suit. Oh, you have a new suit. So I'm thinking she must know or have some idea. Like, has she even seen Moon Knight's 
uniform as we've seen it with the cape and the and the little shit on his chest. Like, has she seen that before? Because to say he looks different and not say, oh, you got a different suit or a new suit, I don't know. I don't think I'm reading too much into that. That feels like if I am used to seeing Batman in, in his black suit and then he turns around and has on a cardigan, I'm like, what the fuck are you doing? You changing clothes? It's not, oh, you look different. So that plus the fact that she cannot see this thing that Steven is fighting, nor, nor can the people who are like onlookers, because at one point, <laughs> this is not funny, but I think the lady says, it looks like he's having a fancy seizure or something when he was fighting the hellhound. So Steven and, and Mark in the glass of the uh, bus get to having this conversation. And after Steven kind of gets his ass whooped a little bit, Mark is like, let me take over. That's the only way that y'all are going to be safe. Let me take over. He does and gets the hound away. So when he transforms back into the traditional Moon Knight suit and climbs the wall and Layla's talking to him, I'm just, I'm so confused, y'all. And it's like, it's not frustration. It's more of a like, I'm. this is a confusion that I'm enjoying because I don't know what the fuck is going on. But... <sighs> I'm like, what does Layla see? I need to know what does she see. I need to see things through her eyes fully because though through her point of view, we don't see the magical hellhound, we do see Mr. Knight, Stephen dressed up as Mr. Knight. And we also see the traditional Moon Knight. But like, ah, I'm just so, I just want to know. <laughs> and so she also mentioned to Stephen, like when she was trying to convince him he was Mark, we have gone on adventures together. We've studied hieroglyphics and we found a scarab and this and that. And so that leads me to believe she may not see everything as we are presented, but she know, she's a little bit more in the know than anyone else. Um, yeah, this is really a sad story because it turns out <sighs> Stephen is just a mild-mannered guy, wants to go on about his life with his nice hobbies and talk to his mom. Mark is a mercenary who has killed folks and is he has a job to do. Kanshu has employed Mark because Kanshu resurrected them and this is now your your payment is to do the bidding of Kanshu. Steven ain't got nothing to do with this deal. Kanshu don't even like Steven. But Mark wants to take over the body to get this shit done because he's convinced hey this is one last thing i have to do for Kanshu, and then you know i will be free steven is trying to he even mentioned in the first episode or was it this one he was like i'm going to go to the police tell them what i've done and when i'm locked up you can no longer hurt anyone like he's willing to take that l the reason we find out why mark is so adamant about working for Kanshu, not only is it to like do this one thing and be rid of him to pay him back, but it's also that if he doesn't do it, Kanshu is going to get Layla as his new avatar or whatever. And that's information we get that Steven isn't privy to. So like this shit is messy. This is messy as fuck and I'm all here for it. I want all the drama. I want all the mess. I want all the high stakes. Um so when Steven, I'm sorry, when Mark reverts back from his Moon Knight form after he didn't kill that hellhound, he realizes that the scarab is no longer in his pocket. It was dropped. Some homeless man found it. Arthur came over and like stuck the life force out of him and took it. Layla saw this and drove off. But to me, the biggest 
takeaway in this episode is the fact that Khonshu is essentially blackmailing Mark, and we don't know how long this is going on and how long it's going to go on. Um, and his kind of disdain and anger and aggression towards the idea of Layla is not coming from a place of get her the fuck out of here. She's, you know, useless or can't take care of herself. It's more or less like I know her being near me. This body is going to attract Khonshu to use her as even more blackmail. So it's like, God damn, this shit is messy. This is some soap opera type shit. And I'm for it. I'm here for it. And so this is it. We get a conversation between Steven and Mark where Steven is trying to take the body back over and he's unable to. Steven hates Mark. Rightfully so. He's like, you kill people. And we go to the end. We're now, at the, where are we? Are we in, we're not in Egypt. Where the fuck are we? I think we are in Egypt. I don't know. Y'all let me know. I'm about to look it up. Let me know in the comments. <laughs> DMK pod. But no, man, this was, honestly, I enjoyed this episode. I truly did. I think that for a second episode, you kept shit going. It feels like it has the same high energy as the first one. The first one did the heavy lifting of like laying the groundwork. Now we can just kind of move on. Uh, I did see online there were some people who were speculating that the body of Stephen that we see at the end, like sitting in Egypt or wherever they end up, is another personality. And... I, I didn't watch any of those videos. I didn't listen to any of those theories. Not because I'm afraid of them or I don't want anything spoiled, but I'm like, I, he was just sitting there. So, like, I'll look at those after the third episode, but I didn't want to focus my energy on that. I'm more or less, give me the interesting fan theories um, that don't involve me having to watch a 40-minute video do that so we could very well have another altar and that's fine but the more the merrier i think oscar can pull it off but woof it is some shit going on um how do y'all feel about this episode in the series as a whole let me know do you think that moon knight is needed like when all of these projects were presented and everything like from echo to moon knight to uh, Ironheart to She-Hulk, like, we got a lot of stuff. Do you think now that Moon Knight, that we needed him? Um, also, how do you feel about Moon Knight and his location? Like, he seems to be globetrotting, but he has not made it to New York. I hope it stays that way. Keep him in his own pocket of the MCU and bring him out for a big event and put him back. Do for him what the intention of the Netflix series were that did not work out that well. Also, side note, shout out to Cole. Um, apparently, there's a code you have to put in for their Disney Plus app in order to get the more gritty, hard-hitting adult-type shows, because I had no idea that all of the Netflix, Daredevil, and Luke Cage, and Jessica Jones, and all that shit, I had no idea that was on Disney Plus. I thought I was still waiting for it to pop up. He was like, nah, you got to put in the code. <laughs> so I'm sitting here with the child lock on my Disney Plus account looking silly as hell. But there's that. So yeah, y'all, let me know. Let me know what you're thinking. What are your uh, hopes or ideas or fan theories for 
uh, Moon Knight and for the rest of the series. Like, give me all the shit. Give me the fan theories. Give me the shit you didn't found in the comics, stuff you know about them. Give me your wacky, zany predictions. Because this show is, it's something else. And I'm, I'm for the something else. That's what I'm for. Whew, so yeah, that's all I got, y'all. So uh, thank you so much for listening to this episode. Follow me in this series and give me your theories and all that good stuff. Make sure to use the hashtag DMKPod when you're listening to this podcast and when you're watching Moon Knight. Let's make this a conversation like we do everything else. Hit me up on Twitter at CarefreeBlurred. That's the most immediate way to get in touch with me. CarefreeBlackNerd at gmail.com. If you must email, please do. And CarefreeBlackNerd on all other social media. Hit me up on the TikTok. Hit me up on the TikTok. Hey, hey, hit me up on the TikTok. No, Carefree Blurred uh, on TikTok as well. And um, shit, y'all, man, this is this is cool. This is cool. If you can't tell, I like this series. <laughs> so until next time, stay carefree, stay nerdy, stay geeky. And please, if you have an alter ego who's a little bit more talented than you are, let them come out and play when need be. Don't be all of getting beat up in the street when you got somebody in your head who can help you out. Uh, but yeah, all right, y'all. Look, I can scarcely move. It's all right, just breathe through it. It gets easier. How long you been doing this? I don't know. It's a long time. I don't like it. Long time. I don't want it. Can I have my body back? I can't do that right now, Please. Steven. I'm taking it back. Sorry. We've always managed to keep a wall between us, but something's changed. The one who controls the body's become stronger. The reflections help, but most of the time it'll take all your willpower just to be a fly on the wall. You can't do this. Keeping me trapped in here, you have no right. My whole life, I can't go on a bloody date. I can barely keep a goldfish alive. I lost my job. It's been you. It's always been you. Eating away parts of my life like a parasite. Look, when I am done, when I have repaid my debt, I swear to you, you will never see me or hear from me again. I promise you, we wouldn't be alive if it weren't for Kanchu. And my servitude is the price that I pay. What kind of servitude? The kind that leaves me covered in blood. Yeah, well, that blood is on my hands. You ruin people's lives. Everything you touch, you ruin. You hurt people. You abandoned your wife. You left her stranded. I did not. I am protecting her. You don't know what you're talking about. Yes, you did. I saw. I saw. Kanchu has his eyes on her. He wants her as my replacement, and I'm never going to let that happen. You hear me? You're a lie. I don't believe you. I don't trust anything you say. You hurt people. I'm never going to let you hurt anyone else ever again. Stephen, shut up. Just shut up. Stop it. Stephen, shut up. I promise. Shut up.